Welcome back to Soccer from the Zoo. I'm Michael Howie here again with Kyle Pinnell. Uh, I've it's been a while uh, for me personally. Um, I took a little well, we had the break for winter break, and then I was unavailable last week. And did we do one before that? I don't even I don't think so. So it's been a while, but here we are, and a lot's gone on, obviously in this league as a whole, and especially in the last uh, few days with lots of match days and some crazy results. And we're going to have all that. We're also going to have lots of MLS coverage. We're going to go through some of the leagues in Europe, Bundesliga, uh, and and obviously cover Tottenham and Everton more in depth. So, Kyle, you want to kick things off with uh, what's going on with Everton in the last week? Michael, all I got to say is that it's always a good day to sing the blues when Everton <laughs> win and Liverpool lose. Thank you, Michael. And you might be yeah. thinking I'm crazy by starting at that. Wait, what? Everton didn't win on the same day Liverpool lost. What? Everton drew Manchester United in a terrible game. And to that, I say it's one of those um, draws that feels like a win for Everton. And I love that saying. It's always fun when Liverpool, especially Anfield, lose. Uh, and although Everton didn't beat Manchester United, there were some positives to take out of a very, very sloppy game. But that's where we're going to start uh, as far as with Everton They've had a crazy last few weeks. They've had some transfer, a big deadline day. They had a Josh King come in, and he played a little bit against Manchester United, but he came in, I believe, under 5 million euros in fees um, on a six-month deal, which allows both parties to reassess. There was an article in The Athletic about it. Um, the other um, team in contention for Josh King was Newcastle, who offered him more of a permanent deal. Came down to Everton in Newcastle. Josh King took Everton. Not a bad choice. He did not look fully match fit against Manchester United in the 10 minutes he played. But for for Everton, earlier in the morning, they shipped off Anthony Gordon, a promising youngster, on the wing, which is great for his development. And now it ultimately looks better that Josh King is here at Everton now. But when I saw that this um, that morning, I was thinking, what is Everton doing? They're already having issues with stability and injuries, and they're either missing Richarlison or they're missing uh, Luca Digne or they're they're missing Seamus Coleman or they're missing or Dominic Calvert Lewin. They've been really suffering from a lot of injuries. So I'm glad that Anthony Gordon, while exciting, could use that time on loan, and he did do. Um, it, it should be good for his development, is what I mean to say there. And so as far as results go, Everton had a huge win at Leeds on the road. I did not expect um, that win exactly. Although Everton, I, I mentioned it last week that they have one of the best road records in the Premier League. And I, I said they needed from a stretch of Manchester United, Liverpool, I believe, is their next league game. And um, that Leeds game, they needed at least three or four points. And they picked up four in their first two uh, Manchester United, a team that looked dominant at Goodison twice this season, looked really good at Old Trafford for a long time. And I'm going to go into that game in a second, but Everton did take that win. So a really good week for Everton, both in the signing window and uh, on the field. So as far as going into the Manchester United game more in depth, because that's most recent, well, the question was, could Everton win at Old Trafford? I still have some old notes from when I was watching that game. I wrote nope, 
Um, but that was when Everton was down two to nothing and they came back, scored two goals in the 51st and 53rd minute after, right after the break. I was not expecting to see that, but great, great goals. Um, one by, I believe Decore and the other by Hamas Rodriguez on his left foot. And honestly, watching that first half, Bruno Fernandez is a special player and for as bad as he can look at times, he to be able to produce moments like that where I can just nonchalantly just pick the top left corner out of, out of the net and, and get that goal. I mean, that was super impressive. So a great signing for United there. And, and then after Everton tied up two two, Robin Olsen trips over his own feet in the goal. Uh, so they allowed a set piece uh, header from far ish out. And that was just Everton. So at the death, you have another set piece. Robin Olsen comes up. They just, Everton sends the ball into the box. And Harry Maguire, 80 million defender, maybe overvalued. I think people are beginning to see. He just keeps yeah. Dominic Calvert-Lewin and his run onside. Dominic Calvert-Lewin flicks it off, uh, I believe his chest, and then just pokes it past David De Gea. So 3-3, honestly, relatively undeserved. I thought Manchester United were the better team for a long stretch of that game. But as an Everton fan, I will take that uh, as the team coming in with five points from losing positions, one of the worst in the Premier League, to be able to get that result at the death. That doesn't happen often. Those are some things you got to enjoy. So I'm enjoying that. That's Everton off the field, on the field. Michael, I think we should shift over to Tottenham. You have, what, a few months worth of thoughts to kind of share in the next few minutes? Yeah, well, I mean, the the last few months have been crazy up and down for Tottenham. Um, you know, in December, Tottenham were in first place playing against Liverpool in second, and uh, Liverpool defeated them. And from there, it's kind of spiraled downwards. Tottenham now sitting uh, not so comfortably in eighth, but there's there's signs of improvement. And yesterday's result against West Brom is a big one. And also with with that win to have Harry Kane back is huge. And uh, I think uh, Sun was saying something today about how that uh, having Harry Kane is just, is, is huge for them. And it's a, it's a a spirit builder and and it's a player that, that gives them goals. Sun and Kane have combined to score 43 goals. Uh, They've been involved in 43 goals uh, total this season for Tottenham, which is just unbelievable. And I think they've combined uh, to score like 13, uh, an assist from one and a goal from the other. So it, it's really on Son and Kane, and they're 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 finally back together after a few days off, or a few few match days off. So it's it's definitely big to have them back. But they have been struggling, um, especially as of late. So a really rough stretch, losing to Brighton uh, after losing to Liverpool in in pretty dismantling fashion again, and then also losing to Chelsea. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been a rough few weeks and, and, and they've slipped in the table and mm-hmm. it seems to be getting away from everyone really with city now five points clear and with a game in hand, especially since, uh, Everton were able to steal two points from United, which is, it's is about big time we see an league. underdog story. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's also good signs, you know, Tottenham are in three league, uh, league, uh, games right now. Um, they're playing against Everton in the FA Cup this week, which is going to be a big one for us. Uh, they're playing yeah, in the Europa League. 
and they're in the cup final in the Carabao cup. So it's, it's still, you can still say it's, it's a successful season, um, but it's going to take a lot. It's going to take probably winning the league cup against city who are five points clear and have a game in hand and then getting good results and advancing further in the FA cup. And then I, I think if I'm being perfectly honest, I think the the top spot is out of the hands of Tottenham and it's probably out of the hands of Liverpool as well. And maybe even United just because of how dominant city have been in those last few months. So it, it, Oh, how did you just describe your season? An okay Uh, season. Okay. Yes. You just described it as okay. You describe it. So you're having an okay season here sitting what in fifth or sixth at this point, or did you drop? Or t- 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 uh, no, we're in eighth. <laughs> okay, you're in eighth now. Yeah. You're saying an you're okay ahead of season. Us. You're ahead of us. Everton's like in the same point range, and Everton fans are like, let's go. Carlo Ancelotti's taking us to the prom- the, the outlook here when you have success versus a team that's been managed by Sam Allardyce in the last um, two years. So I just yeah. want to point that out. Yeah, well, and I, I want to go more in depth about the, the recent results. Um, there up until the win against West Brom, it was three losses in a row in the Premier League. And I, I believe I saw a stat that that's the first time since 2015 that that's happened to a Tottenham team. And I don't think it's ever happened under a Mourinho team. So that's should give you something there that, that this is this is not a thing that happens very often. And it, it is largely due to Harry Kane being out. But, you know, it's on the rest of the team, too. And the loss against Chelsea, I highlight uh, in specific it was not just because it was a one nothing result against a good Chelsea team. It, it just didn't look like Tottenham were playing, um, you know, like they, like they should, like they, like a Tottenham team usually does lazy defending, ex- extremely low intensity. And Mourinho basically didn't have anything to say after the game. All he did was make excuses, blaming it on the fact that Harry Kane wasn't playing. Uh, he, someone asked why Gareth Bale didn't come on. And he said that the reporter didn't deserve an answer, which I think is in part because I don't think Mourinho has an answer for that. I, I don't understand why he doesn't come on in a situation where Tottenham are down one nothing, 70th minute, 75th, it gets to the 80th, 85th, still one nothing. It doesn't bring him on all game. Is it a fitness uh, thing with Bale? I haven't watched I, a lot, whole heck of a lot of Tottenham, but, but I thought, assumed he would be playing more than he has been. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't seem to be a fitness thing because he's playing in the – uh, smaller competitions. He played in the early rounds of the FA Cup. He's he's been playing uh, occasionally, coming on as a substitute in the Premier League. So it seems as though Mourinho is not comfortable playing him in the Premier League, um, w- which is kind of shocking. And it, it's it's worrisome, I think, to see a guy who's been signed for so many millions of dollars sitting on the bench all game. And it, it's, is this it's Real Madrid situation here? Yeah, exactly. And it's this type of situation where you get an attacking player like Bale, who's so dominant and so good at creating chances, and you're losing a game, you need to score a goal, and you don't bring him on. I understand not bringing him on against West Brom when you're up 2 nothing and you have a comfortable lead, no need to bring him in, put in some defensive players and just get the good result. But to not have Bale in, in, in that game was, was mm-hmm. shocking. Um, but as I said, it's not a wash. There's There's points to be won still there's other leagues and other league cups to win so it's it's not uh not dreadful yet but uh moving on to the some of the more team news um there was news recently that Deli Ali was going to stay with Tottenham and uh 
Ali obviously has not been playing pretty much at all, just like Bale. Um, but him and, and Mourinho had a conversation a few days ago, and it seemed as though both of them were happy with how the conversation went. So it seems like Deli Ali is going to stay. Whether or not that actually means he's going to play is, is still in question. He's not really been the same player he was a few seasons ago when he was just so dominant, uh, almost playing like how Son is playing now. But he's he's just hasn't been the same player. So hopefully they're going to try to turn that around and get him some more playing time because he hasn't been even in the in the substitute list uh, in, in the most recent Premier League games. And so hopefully that will well, turn around the, as, as Deli Alley turns around as well. That's quite the fall. I mean, you look at Tottenham's midfield, you would think it would make more sense with uh, Deli Alley and then um, Ndombele, who's really settled in as that six slash eight kind of role mm-hmm. for Tottenham and providing some offense from deeper in uh, the defensive third. I, I just... I don't know what to make of Tottenham. I don't know. I'm sure you don't know what to make of Tottenham at times with you. You just went through a bunch of, a bunch of things there, Gareth. I mean, what, it, at least you have Harry Kane and Youngman's son. And with mm-hmm. those two, I think you can win any game for all I know on Thursday or whenever they, whenever they play Everton, that should be what you can argue. Everton beat Tottenham um, in North London, one nil to start the season. I don't think that's going to be a similar scoreline. You can, no. if, the, if well, Everton and, played and like I, and I think... at United, I was just going to say you could see what two one three one zero zero with a goal and extra. I don't even know what I can see from Tottenham or Everton at this point. Well, and the thing is, I think the reason you could, you say you don't know what to expect from Tottenham, I, I argue you also don't know what to, what to expect from Everton because the last time they played each other, first game of the season, it, there's there's two different teams now. You know, when Everton played Tottenham, mm-hmm. it, it was expected that Tottenham was going to win just because on paper Tottenham were the better yep. preseason team. But now it's it's two teams who are really right next to each other in the table. Everton have a game in hand, but they're a point ahead of Tottenham. Um, and and Everton are have exceeded expectations, then had a little drop-off, and now they're back again. And Tottenham were kind of the opposite, where they were underwhelming and then surged to the top of the table in December, and now they're back down. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's tough. It's, you can, it's tough to... You can argue, argue yeah. You can argue that both these teams are very similar. Uh, there was an article in the Athletic I was reading earlier as well. Everton don't know how to break teams down. Uh, with they're really good in transition. You got a player like Richarlison. You got a Wobi when he's in. You got Dominic Calvert Lewin. They need balls into the box, and they will pump balls into the box, which is great when you're playing in transition or you're playing with numbers or overloads. It's not great when you're playing a team like Tottenham that. If you allow a first goal, dude, they're going to sit back and force you to pick out those passes. And players with technical quality, you're looking at Hamas Rodriguez. I mean, outside of that, Luca Digne would probably be very, very technical in that. I don't know where you're finding that. Gilfie Sigurdsson, God, no. Uh, I don't. What? <laughs> um, you're going to have Decore is not going to be able to do that. He's, he's more of a game wrecker in transition. Yeah, so you really don't have that bits of technical quality to find a way to get Dominic Calvert Lewin in behind or any of like Richarlison's kind of had a cold, cold stretch. They don't know how to break teams down. That could be disastrous against Tottenham, but Tottenham aren't the best at breaking teams down either. So I think there's a lot of similarities between these two teams and I'm sure we can go on and on about Everton and Tottenham as we always do, but kind of transitioning to the rest of Premier, the Premier League because we have a lot of news, uh, some recent games of note since uh, I last recorded. 
Uh, and then obviously since Michael's been here a while, Manchester United before uh, drawing Everton 3-3 beat Southampton 9 to nothing, where I believe seven different players scored goals and Anthony Martial had a brace. That was a fun one if you're a United fan. Shows kind of the potential they have, which they have a lot. Their roster is very talented and there's a reason they are in or fighting for Champions League and will most likely get a spot there. That's United's biggest ever win in the Premier League. Another smaller but more interesting one, Sheffield United 2, West Brom 1. I I just put Sheffield won a real-life soccer game because they don't do a lot of that, so that's pretty notable. And and then you got Liverpool. So Liverpool lost to Burnley in their first home loss in like two, two three seasons, something like that. Yeah, it was like 68 games in a row. Yeah, it was, and now they've uh, lost – They've lost like three in the past month. They lost at yeah. home to Brighton one nothing. At home to Burnley one nothing. And then after going into like the seventieth minute, tied at one, they lost four to one to Manchester City at Anfield, which is just amazing. So we should all relish the fact that Liverpool can lose at home, and I think they host Everton relatively soon. So that's a bounce back game for them at Anfield because they do not lose to Everton no matter what happens. So yeah, Everton are definitely playing Liverpool at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who plays Liverpool right now is playing them at the right time because they're uh, they're hurting. And Everton, I, I, was, I was going to say, Everton playing them at the right time. Everton's played <sighs> Liverpool at Anfield with a team of U23s and lost to them because like a 17-year-old scored a great goal in the 75th minute. Everton yeah. lost to Liverpool because of freaking Divac or Rigi uh, or Rigi. I don't even know. Anyway, I hit that dude. Because <laughs> Pickford... <laughs> Pickford hit it in off the post. Everton, like, oh, yeah, this is Everton's year. They can beat Liverpool at Anfield. They haven't beaten Liverpool anywhere in, like, 10 years. So I don't know yeah. what – what, even it, Goodison, it's 0 0 0 0 one what, They barely like, – they got so lucky a VAR call early in the season. I think it was, like, Andy Robertson or something with a winning goal got negated. So I don't think – I think Everton, Everton should go in like they are Sheffield United playing Manchester City on their day. And they still have less of a chance of winning a game than Sheffield United does of having winning that game. That's how it feels as an Everton yeah. supporter. It's it's unbelievable. So those are some well, of the I'll, notable games. But we're, I want to go back to the well. I want to go back to the United game real quick. Yeah. Um, because that that nine nothing win was obviously it's it's unbelievable. It's the I think tied for the biggest ever win in the Premier League, and it's also the biggest for United um, ever in the Premier League. But just the the way that Southampton let that game get away, obviously with a red card in the second minute, you're already setting yourself up for failure playing the entire game with, with 10 and it's going to get exhausting, not only because you're, you're going to not be possessing the ball as much, but because you've got 10 guys and you're, you're playing the, the, the game that, that requires 11. And so everyone's running more, everyone's covering more space and it, it really gets, your fitness just is destroyed by the end. And then going down to nine players, uh, I think later in the second half, you can't win that game. And it's, it's, it's really about cutting your losses and, and getting to 90 minutes and then getting out of there. But this is not the right way for Southampton to do it. And they, they, they looked lost. They just, they, they pretty much had given up. Um, and, and the goals kept coming. And of course, in a premier league where goal differential is potentially going to be very important this year, it's huge, huge, huge for United to get a nine goal win. Uh, they're still 10 goals behind city in goal differential, which is unbelievable to think about that. But um, 
it, it's big for United to get that. And also for Southampton, it didn't end there because they went down to 10 men, at maybe even nine men against Newcastle and lost to Newcastle the following weekend. So Southampton have had a, been good on the coast. terrible, a terrible last few weeks because they were in top four contention mm-hmm. earlier in the season. I think they've dropped to 12th. Um, and it's, it's sad that it happens to be Southampton that United scores nine goals against, because I believe Southampton were scored on nine times against, um, I want to say Leicester last season. Yeah. Or like um, seven. Was like it that, like a touchdown or it, something? I, yeah. I don't remember the exact score, but it was something like that. And, and the only thing that could have been worse for Southampton was if they were playing that game at Allianz Arena against Bayern Munich and you hear the same song coming on yeah, like it happened yeah. in Schalke. That was the only thing that could have been worse. It was like a complete Bayern Munich masterclass. But um, as far as games go, um, just some other news and notes. The one, one very notable thing re, uh, revolving around the Champions League Liverpool cannot travel to Germany to take on RB Leipzig because of COVID-19 protocols. And, and this is just a small thing and not with any of the teams, but within the governments. What are your thoughts on, on that? And, and as far as those travel bans coming back in, in Europe between Germany and England, between, I don't know, maybe somewhere like France put something in with England. So with those international stipulations and regulations, like you obviously can't compete in the Champions League with those if it's a European competition. Although to be fair, actually now that I think about it, it's because the UK isn't a part of the EU, right? Right. <laughs> that's probably right. why. So it's, it's all. So it's probably just against England. So, I, but it says just Germany for now. But I, what are your thoughts on how it will impact future Champions League games? These games not being able to be played, or who? What? I don't even know well, where this is going. It was just an interesting news blurb that popped up this week. Well, it's a sign of the times. I mean, it's on any normal year, this never would happen, obviously. Um, and things are, things are definitely a lot more tight in Europe. And when it's international travel, uh, that's obviously a, a potentially COVID spreading situation. And both governments probably don't want that to happen. And it seems as though Germany's especially is, is going to be tight. And what effect does it have on the competition well there this isn't the only uh, only game being played where there's going to be international travel and as the situation evolves you know this COVID is changing every day mm-hmm. it seems it's it's very uncertain I think and I, I think there's a there's a potential conversation to be had here about what the importance of scoring away goals is and, and I know it just has to do with just the traveling to another stadium but away goals are the tiebreaker in the champions league. And if there's not the ability to have an away tie or a home tie mm-hmm. for that, for that team, if they're going to play two games in a neutral site, or if Germany, if the German teams are going to come to England and play both legs in the, uh, in the English stadiums, you know, the conversations there of, well, what do you do now? If you don't have a way in home ties, what is the tiebreaker? And is the team that's technically away at any major disadvantage where it isn't even fair anymore to have both ties there. So I think it's an interesting conversation. That's not the champions league though. It's not 
the neutrals, it's it's because of European nights at Anfield, as much as I hate to say it, Barcelona <laughs> traveling to Liverpool, right? It's yeah. because of the nights, Bayern, Borussia, Dortmund, and the massive TIFOs. And it's also funny, international travel between England and um, Germany, it's just like saying international travel between Atlanta, Georgia, and Miami, Florida, both places yeah. without, I mean, that's just how big the U.S. is and how crazy, how crazy that can get, but. I think that's something monitoring, not just with Germany, but other governments, because uh, this is a whole European thing. So that that's something to keep an eye on as Champions League picks up relatively soon, I believe. And so before we leave, England uh, wanted to go through some of our sneaky good games of the week. I'm going to go with Wolves-Leicester this week, and, and I know I pick Wolves a lot because they're very interesting. They're, they have a lot of injury issues, of course, missing Raul Jimenez, Raul Jimenez is not great because uh, of his ability to score goals. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League last year. A massive blow to Wolves to kind of like miss that spearhead of their attack. And they haven't really been able to get much of anything together. Adama Traore has been fine, but he hasn't been as kind of mercurial as he was last year. Like everyone, he was a talk of the Premier League. So Wolves are kind of, they're, they're getting there. They're still mid-table. Leicester, of course, is one of the best teams recently. They are what Everton strives to be, um, and they kind of feel the most like Everton, really. Everton and Wolves have that kind of feel like the same club at times, but Leicester's been having a better go of it as of late, and really, Wolves need need this result, and, and Leicester have had an up-and-down last few games. They, they lost to Leeds. They drew against Everton. That could have been a loss. Uh, and then they beat Fulham like they should. So I think yeah, well, it's, and, it's and very Wolves were able to get a Wolves were able to get a draw against them. So it's yeah. It, so it I think that's pretty yeah. intriguing. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. So my game this week is Crystal Palace Burnley. Now I it's, I think it's it's very big for Burnley, um, but it that that reciprocates down to the bottom three because Burnley is currently sitting in seventeenth. And they are, at the moment, they are eight points clear of 18th and relegation, which is uh, the Fulham uh, side. And so if, uh, if Burnley wins against Crystal Palace and Fulham loses to Everton, which on paper they should, and of course I just jinxed it, so sorry, Kyle. But if that happens, then Burnley it. will be – right, fine. Well, if it happens, then Burnley will be clear of, of 18th place, which is Fulham, by 11 points. And – that's that all but locks up the bottom three. When you look at it, it's it's three teams, especially the bottom two, West Brom and Sheffield, that just have gotten nothing going all season long. Sheffield only three wins and two draws. West Brom with two wins, six draws. Fulham with two wins and nine draws. And they're at 11, 12, and 15 points. Mm-hmm. And then Burnley is next with 23. So if, if Burnley gets a win and Fulham loses, it's an 11-point gap. I really don't think that that's able to, I, I don't think any team is going to be able to come back from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll lock up the bottom three. So I think this game is big for Burnley because if they get three points, they're probably safe from relegation, even though they're sitting in 17th and are not having a very good year. So, I, and I mean, the win against Liverpool is so big for that. The fact that Burnley are able to go to Anfield and get a win, those three points are so big because the bottom three clubs haven't been able to do that. And, and honestly, most of the Premier League hasn't been able to do that. So 
it's it's big for Burnley and and this is a huge weekend for them. Yeah, that's that's a good choice. The drop zone is just unbelievable. Like you get the difference between those the 17th and then 18, 19, 20 is just huge. And, and like you you talked mm-hmm. about uh, so well that that's one of the intriguing points of the season. That's not going to be talked about until the final weeks, and you're not going to really get a relegation scrap if if this really keeps up. And we still have a little bit of a ways to go, I believe. We're just over the halfway mark of the Premier League season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. And now shifting to Germany, not a whole heck of a lot there um, in comparison to the Premier League. But uh, there was a few teams I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to talk about Dortmund. I want to talk about Bayern. Um, so the two, the two main culprits when you think of German German soccer. So as far as Dortmund, they're coming off of a 2-1 loss at Freiburg. And, and I just have a lot of questions with them. Like every season, it feels like they are, they have so much talent. They have an Erling Holland. He's going to be gone soon. They, they're they not taking advantage of him. Uh, Gio Reyna. He's, he's great. Uh, I think he's a um, Borussia Dortmund level player and he will probably be there for a little while. Jane Sancho will probably be gone eventually. They always have so much good young talent. They know how to develop young talent and they know how to bargain shop. The problem is, at what point does that just become irrelevant? And it seems like there's years where it's between Dortmund and Bruce uh, Dortmund and Bayern and it's close like four or five points. And then there's years like this year, I want to say there's 16 points behind Bayern at the, at the moment. Bayern yeah. yep. won each 16. of the last five. Yeah. Each of the last five games, Bayern's amazing. They're going to win the Bundesliga for an eighth or ninth straight time or something like that. That's fine. But I'm, what what is Dortmund's ceiling is one of the questions I have, right? They're sitting 32 points, sixth six place in the Bundesliga. One wins in the last five games is unacceptable for a club with the stature of a Borussia Dortmund. They should be challenging every year. At how much, one, how much of a disaster is it if they don't make Champions League? That means they're not one of the four best teams. Is Germany get four, right? Or they get two? Four. Uh, they they get, get four. four. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so they do get four. So they're not one of the best four teams in Germany. That's just a slap in the face, really. So how much, like, will those players, like, Holland, at some point, if he doesn't make the Champions League next year, that's that's a disgrace. And and he has options. He can go to Real Madrid, and he can play at whatever club he chooses. He's one of the best players in the world, probably second only to Lewandowski as far as strikers go at the top of my head. Mm -hmm. But how will these bad losses affect that core? and kind of drive those decisions or I know you probably haven't watched a lot of them. I, I need to be watching more Bundesliga life gets busy right in college. So what, what are your thoughts on, on just those generic questions, just knowing the talent level that they have? Yeah. I think for Dorman, it comes down to their back line. They, they allow so many goals and it, it kind of offsets all the goals that Holland scores. They're I think maybe like third in scoring goals in the Bundesliga total, but nearly the, for the for the top teams, they're they're really struggling in how many they're allowing, and as it stands, they're not even in the Europa League contention. They're one place off from that. Europa is so, just the fifth place. Yeah, in, in Germany. Fifth. So yeah. it's four for Champions League, one for Europa, and then you're out. And then you're done, and then you're in a free fall. Yeah. So if they don't get into uh, Europe, yeah, I, I think if if Dortmund doesn't get into Europe, then Holland is probably going to look at leaving. I, I kind of see Dortmund and I've seen it ever since I've followed the Bundesliga. I've always seen them as like a, like a staging club 
where players will come in, they'll play some seasons there, get games under their belt in a top flight league with a, a pretty reputable team and then move on. And you saw it with Pulisic, obviously he, he played a few seasons there and then moved up to the, the world renowned Chelsea. And I, I kind of see that similar thing happening with Holland. And obviously Holland is just the type of player he is and knows for goal. He's, he just is always there. He's always scoring. And it's similar to how Lewandowski plays, but he kind of finds goals in a little different ways. Um, more so starting from the midfield, getting to score versus Lewandowski, who often is first touch on goal is coming from inside the box. But I think, I think Holland is obviously such a special player and he's, he's being brought down by the players around him. And it's, it, he, he's definitely not at his fullest potential with Dortmund. And I, and I think that he will be moving on. It's just a question of when, and that's really dependent on how Dortmund finishes this season. And it's going to require some good results and turning around their form. I think they've got three losses in their last five matches. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to turn things around. They're going to have to start scoring goals at the same clip that they do while allowing fewer. And, um, and, and I think they can turn things around. But I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at their last results, and they allowed uh, in, in a loss they allowed two, in a win they allowed two, in a win they allowed yep. one, four, two. Like it, they haven't had a clean sheet in in uh, a month. It's been a month since they've had a clean sheet. January third was their last one in in the Bundesliga, um, and since that one, they haven't had a clean sheet in the Bundesliga since October. So. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's really important that they don't allow goals because if they can't consistently score them, uh, let's say Holland is injured, Holland has a bad day, they're they're uh, they're in trouble. So it, it's important for Dortmund to to strengthen their back line. Yeah, well, when I think of Dortmund, I I, I think of Alexi Lawless and his saying set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. They're one of the worst teams. In Europe, by giving up set piece opportunities, that goes into the leaky defense. At some point, they've got to shore that up, and and I believe one of the games I watched at that point, this was about two or three weeks ago. It's probably gotten worse. They've conceded ten or eleven set piece goals, and that's just unacceptable on set pieces where you can really plan something out both offensively and defensively to give up that many from from those opportunities. It, it's just not something a European level team would do. So, and going back to your point about, about just where they are and then teams kind of are players using them kind of as a next step in their career. There's a place for that in, in the global market. I think they found a really good place. One, it hurts when they're those best players go to pretty much Bayern every other time. And mm-hmm. in the, I mean, they lose the talent, but they're just world-class in evaluation. And I, I think Dortmund knows what it does well. Now it's just they moved on from um, Lucien Favre last season or at the beginning of this season. They just need to find how to make it all fit together on the field because I do not doubt that they will get a bunch of talented young players. I believe, didn't they just land like Jude Bellingham at the beginning of the season, another talented English player? So Dortmund. Well, there's also uh, Sancho, Jordan Sancho. Well, yeah, James Sancho, yeah. Um, they're they're fine. Uh, I I just want to see more on the field. At some point, being third and developing players to sell is is great. But they got to get hardware again, which they haven't had since really uh, Jurgen Klopp. 
And yeah. so now moving on from Dortmund, the other giant Bayern, not much to discuss here. 48 points, as I mentioned earlier, on cruise control, 15 wins, three draws, two losses. Only question there, is it about time to start putting you back in contention for the Champions League title if and, and when those German bans get lifted or travel restrictions we just talked about? That'll be interesting, but do you think who else would you put there with them? City in England. I don't think any other team in England could even keep up. Uh, Spain, Atletico Madrid is leading the uh, leading yeah. the league, which we'll talk about in a second. I don't think they keep up with Bayern Munich on their day. Is there PSG. anybody else other than City? PSG. That's that's a whole another conversation about what yeah. their expectations should be because they're winning the league every yeah. year. So, just what are your thoughts on Bayern um, before we kind of move on to Spain? Well, I think you have to you have to put Bayern as the favorites to win the Champions League, but at the same time, you look at City and they're in just about the same form as Bayern is, and arguably City is playing against tougher opponents and getting the same results. So, it, it's it's hard to say. I think Bayern, since they are the current champions of Europe, they kind of have a, a target on their back, but. I would argue as well that they always have a target on their back. And so I don't think that necessarily changes anything. Um, but it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if that's a, if that's the final um, both uh, the champions league uh, second round is kicking off, I think next week. Um, Should be Byron plays Byron is a, a arguably one of the easier matchups. They're playing Lazio um, on February 23rd is the Lazio first. Lazio are normally good ish. Yeah, they they, they are. They are, but they they finished second in their group behind Dortmund. Um, They 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 almost they really barely got into the the round of sixteen. They had four draws, um, and only two wins in their group, and and just snuck by uh, into the second place in their group. So they're they're in there. They're playing against Bayern. They've got a difficult matchup, and I and I. I think any normal person would say that Byron is going to win this leg and is going to win the round of 16, but uh, city probably will too. And, and I, I think they're on a collision course for each other. And I, I hope, I, I really hope they do because that would be a great game to watch in the final. Where's the final supposed to be this year? Uh, good question. I am not sure. Um, I can look that up. Sounds right good. Well, as you're looking that up, not much to touch on on Spain. I just want to look at the title race a little bit. We haven't really touched on Spain a lot. Um, Atletico, as I just mentioned, sitting on 50 points. Madrid sitting on 43. So both the Madrid clubs are in a race. Atletico has a good three-game margin, essentially. Barcelona on 40 points. It seems like they just consistently have so many results that they drop or so many games that are head-scratchers. They play so many. They're still very good. I, I think it's really – I don't know how much I trust Atletico with 50. Obviously, one of the best defenses in, in all of um, global soccer. Uh, Madrid, they're going to have the talent. Not much I see there between the, uh, with those three teams. What hurts Madrid, uh, Sergio Ramos is going to be out six weeks after a knee surgery. That's pretty much all I have for, for Spain – just as far as time crunching and we have a lot of major league soccer content to really go through. Did you have anything you wanted to touch on about the title race, anything in, in Spanish soccer, any, anything like that? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I I found that the Champions League final is going to be in Istanbul. Um, okay. And it's actually in the same it's in the same stadium that Liverpool played against Milan in 2005 in the final. And that was if I don't know if you recall this, I obviously did not watch this live. I don't remember it, but um, Liverpool were down three nothing at halftime and came back yeah. and beat Milan in penalties. Uh, I've read my share articles. Result. Yeah, very famous result there. And if Liverpool somehow managed to make it into the final, that it's going to be uh, a big storyline, whether they can uh, turn their, that result into a win in 2021. But yeah. uh, there's a long way to go for them until we get there. But anyway, going back to uh, Spain, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Madrid, Atletico Madrid, to be specific, are, uh, are running away with it. They – how many points clear are they with how many games in hand? They've, like, it's, it's, it's pretty big. Let's see. Seven, seven points with two games in hand over Barcelona. Atletico has two games in hand. Yeah. Okay. So it, they're, they're just not a flashy team. Away. They're not no, a flashy. Nobody's not. paying and attention to the Spanish race. No, they're not at all, but they've got, I mean, they have some pretty big name players, obviously with Jeff Felix and, and Suarez, Jeff Felix, but yeah. Um, it, it seems as though Barcelona, you know, Barcelona are going to need to all but win out the rest of the would league. You, would you throw Atletico into the Champions League conversation? Not based on, you wouldn't think it based on merit. The question would be their defense. Their defense under Diego yeah. Simeone has always been one of the best in all of Europe, like I mentioned earlier. Do they have enough to slow down a juggernaut like City or, um, City or Bayern? Just enough, not just allow one or two goals. No, they can't allow two goals. They don't have the. They have some offensive firepower, I guess. If you put uh, Felix and Suarez, um, two clinical players, they have a good. They have a good all-around roster, but they need that defense to hold. Maybe just one goal. They need that system to hold. Do they have that in them to? They can probably make it to the final four of the competition. Do they have it in them to maybe get in that conversation? You know, I think they do. Um, they. It's it's hard to say because they they lost to Bayern in the group stage for nothing and then drew them one one. So they allowed goals both times. And the second one was only only one goal and they, they did manage to get a draw, but obviously Bayern is the better team. Um it's whether or not Madrid can can create a, a tactical scheme to to keep them off the score sheet and, and then you can make the argument that Madrid are, are gonna play better against Bayern, but as it stands I think Madrid do have a shot, but um, they they're going to take it's going to take a lot of work to uh, to to keep a team like Bayern, a team like City, off the score sheet. Um, Madrid, Atletico Madrid have only allowed ten goals in the in La Liga this season in nineteen games, which is unbelievable. You know, every other game yep. they're getting a they're getting a clean sheet, and and the game after that they're allowing only a goal uh, on average. So. Imagine Dortmund and, and, getting clean sheets as we went over earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. So so they've got ten, and the the next team for for like that is allowed the the, the second fewest goals is Sevilla with sixteen, and they've played two more matches than Madrid have. So that's it, pretty good. It, it's yeah, it is very good, um, and and they're doing it while scoring. They scored forty goals, and that's good enough for second in La Liga behind Barcelona. So. I mean, yeah, I think you can make the argument that Madrid is is up there with with City and and Bayern. They definitely, as you said, they don't have the same uh, name recognition. They don't have the same. They're not uh, going to be flashy. 
flashiness. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, but they they have the ability to do it, and they're like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to me. Just not yeah. as uh, not as flashy as the Chiefs, but not as flashy, but they have yeah some solid pieces. Uh, so kind of getting the major league soccer, we've been talking probably almost an hour. So some major league soccer stuff to go over and, and then we'll kind of get out of here and some international stuff too, with the U S men's and women's national team. Main thing with major league soccer is the labor negotiations. So that's still being drawn out. Uh, the players association and major league soccer came to a tentative agreement by that stretch deadline last Friday. I believe I mentioned it a little bit last week about um, that deadline getting pushed farther back and back and, and so that's going to extend the CBA once it gets ratified through 2026 and, and kind of just going through some articles. I'm not going to pretend like I know the most about this, uh, but um, the MLS uh, Players Association wanted the league to lower the fret, uh, threshold of free agency uh, to 23 years of age or older with at least four years of service. Major League Soccer doesn't have a free agency system that's good. Like if you just look at that, like they need to play at least four years and be 23 years old. It used to be like 27 years old and eight years to enter free agency, not player friendly. One of the least player friendly leagues as far as that goes. So that's a good thing to see. And um, according to that, I think this will save MLS 53. Yeah. $53 million. The, the whole issue really started because the CBA agreed to last February, I think before the season start, started then COVID-19 hit they they it took them a while to ratify that one or they didn't ratify it that's why and then they MLS enacted the force majeure clause which as I mentioned a little bit last week is just like natural disasters happening or something that can't be predicted and that was COVID-19 and, and a lot of stadiums not getting that stadium revenue or right. or game day revenue or anything like that and and so it's just a mess with the numbers and and I think MLS's side is well, at some point, the players got to help us out here, too, because we are not bringing in what we normally do. And that's just been the whole back and forth. The only problem would be that lockout. I think there are on there's been good talks. I think that's fine. It's just something to keep an eye on. And obviously, you don't want to lock out when you're seeing MLB get started. NBA still in its in the midst of NBA season and, and all that. You don't want to be the league left out. That would be disastrous this year. So. That's kind well, of the update. I, I would I would make the argument that the lockout is not just disastrous this year, but it's disastrous when you consider that U.S. soccer is having such a huge uh, renaissance, and I wouldn't even call it a renaissance because it hasn't ever really been the way it is now. True. Um, but it, it's it's such a huge moment for U.S. soccer when you've got all these international stars. Um, the The World Cup is coming up. It's going to be hosted in many U.S. cities. So excitement for soccer is, is on the rise in the U.S. And to have a lockout at this moment just seems like a huge shot in the foot where there, the interest in the game would go down. There'd be fewer, uh, fewer fans going to games, fewer fans watching them on TV. Um, and, of course, it wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, you've got all yeah. these international stars. They're playing in Europe. But at the same time, just not having games played in in domestic leagues is is would be very unfortunate you can't and so i think you, you can't yeah you can't afford to have a lockout just years before the world cup and and when soccer's at the place oh. it is right now oh, 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 oh. breaking news mls players association announces that it has formally ratified a revised collective bargaining agreement uh with the league right now as of espn 
talk about time. They heard me. They heard conversation that just popped up on my phone as we were talking. So ignore the last five minutes of us talking about the um, collective bargaining agreement because that just got ratified. So we are now not going to worry about a lockout. Our doomsday scenario no longer exists. If we were on the the title, if we were on the FM stream, we would have the fastest breaking news reported in the, in the, in all of I Missouri know. on that, on that, but you heard oh, it here well. first, <laughs> all five people in mid Missouri listening to a soccer talk show at one twenty four on a Monday, you heard it here <laughs> first. We can prove that. that that's hilarious. So that's the CBA talk. Glad that resolved itself instantaneously. The other thing was um, the notebook uh, that I read on the athletic, just going through some generic MLS talking points. I think this was written by Paul Tenorio. Uh, the three major touch points, Aaron Long, and he's been in a had a bunch of European suitors, and uh, he's gonna. St- I think he signed a longer deal with the New York Red Bulls, uh, but I heard Liverpool might have been in for him. There was one championship offer that uh, Leipzig, or not Leipzig, or Red Bull, uh, New York Red Bulls turned down for him. Uh, Miguel, uh, Miguel Layun from Monterey rumors for him to go to San Jose, but that was nixed at the last second. Uh, and then pretty interesting, so many clubs are in on former MLS Super Draft number one overall pick Frankie Amaya, the FC Cincinnati product. And and he's very good. I, I, I haven't seen much from him. Obviously, FC Cincinnati's been a mess. But I'm excited to see what he can do. And with all these other teams so excited about him, I, he's definitely a player I'll be keeping my eye on. I know he has high technical ability. And, and he's kind of a fringe uh, youth national team player right now. So I would love to see his development, especially as MLS returns. There's another could argue uh, article by Pablo Maurer, I believe on just the plain white kits in MLS and why that happens. And he brought out a pretty good point as far as the light versus dark home versus road kits. And if a team wants one good kit, then they can't really mix like a darker color that would count as another road kit. So they have to make it light enough. It's a weird Adidas situation. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on those plain white jerseys? And then I can let you go to the next bit of news. I don't know. I'm kind of a fan, honestly. Of the plain I, white jerseys. Yeah. I've got to be honest. I even that, even the Austin FC ones. Well, I think uh, those are, those are a little different, but like, I, I love, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I think they look so clean. You have um, pink, you have green. As far as Miami has pink, why don't you just make an all pink kit and not let Seattle do it? Or you yeah, have, I agree. You have green if you're Austin, a beautiful shade of Verde green. That's not Timbers green and it's not Sounders green. It's a great shade of green. And I think it's similar to what color you're wearing. Um, yeah. Nobody yeah. can see this great podcasting, but, <laughs> but yes, I think it's that. I think they have, Great. I just don't like the white on green, but we'll see. They should have some cool, cool kits. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a fan of like the the inner Miami white ones, for example. I think those are they they're just so clean. I don't know. They There's something about clean. the white kits. I love them. I just they need them. pink. How do you have that color scheme? One of the best in Major League Soccer, and not use pink in anything. Okay, I get it if you want one white kit that's clean, but why don't you have an all pink like um, Ford Madison? <laughs> those jerseys yeah. are fun. Those jerseys are fun. Did you kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, Daryl DK? Yeah. So I, you put this down and I, I, I read about this, um, but there's, 
uh is this confirmed did this happen or is it still a rumor yes that's a that is confirmed okay uh when i read about it, it was a rumor but uh yeah dk's uh, headed to barnsley europe um and he had to play um there was there was a situation where he was uh applying for a work visa and uh he had to play um to be eligible and uh and he did so there it goes. It's good for him. Um, kind of a, a unique situation. Um, but uh, I, I didn't see this tweet. No, I think it's you just know this... a little bit more about this. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of funny. With the Trinidad and Tobago game, I was kind of listening to the Total Soccer Show, and they mentioned that for uh, DK to get a work visa, and he had a great season with Orlando City last season in MLS. For him to get a work visa to be able to play in England, he needed a few more international minutes or an international cap or something. That's very heady. I mean, it was Greg Berhalter made the decision, but obviously you've got to assume somebody was in his ear, whether it be his agent or something. He wouldn't have had this opportunity if he didn't get in the game. So Mm -hmm. that that was good that he got to play in that game. And he, I believe the deal is alone with an option to buy, but they have, it's the, the buying option, I believe it's like 20 million. So it's very high and they only get 80% of his rights. So there's like a sell-on fee, I believe is associated with it. Uh, obviously Orlando city does not want to lose him, but if they lose him, at least they'll be getting a good sum for it. That's Alfonso Davies money. I think Alfonso Davies was 18 million. So I don't think unless he plays out of his mind in the second tier of um, English soccer, um, that he will be most likely coming back. So Daryl DK will be fun to watch him and his next steps. And then, as I mentioned with Dortmund earlier, just MLS is uh, MLS also knows its role within the soccer world as far as being a stepping stone league, which it was very hesitant to adapt to at first. And, and there was a very interesting article I read about Weston McKinney and how he made it all possible that because he went and he never signed a homegrown deal or something with FC Dallas, he never played for them. He just came up to their academy and he signed with Schalke for free because he never signed an FC Dallas deal. Well, because of that happening, now MLS is smarter. They lost one of their – now you see um, Weston McKinney, one of the best players in the U.S. Uh, men's national team player pool. He left for free. So now a player like um, – I'm trying to think of the player that uh, just went to Roma. I talked about him last week, but there was a player who just – I think it was like Brian Reynolds or something, something like that from FC Dallas. And he went on a, on another expensive deal. He had Juve also looking at him just because of their success, success with Weston McKinney. But you have um, Mark McKenzie going off, Brendan Aronson, all these players getting or netting massive transfer fees or at least comparative for major league soccer. So I find it fun to read about like if Weston McKinney hadn't really left for nothing, then these deals don't happen. So it's going to happen to the league in the long run. It hurts for FC Dallas to lose like in today's dollars, like 25, 30 million dollars in MLS. Now you got the tax of playing in Europe. He's probably a 65, 70 million Euro player. I don't know. Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Well, for the MLS, it's all about learning from, uh, from potential holes in the system. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of holes in the system. Right. There are. And, and, and in most cases, no one's really looking to, you know, finesse money out of an equation, but it's just, there, there are things that 
uh, that weren't thought of. And when McKinney left after not technically playing with Austin or uh, Dallas, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an obvious situation where you're like, Oh, well, why are we not getting anything from this? He's signing. He's one of our best players. He's signing with a European team. Why don't we get anything? Um, but you know, it's, it's a situation that you don't necessarily think of when you don't technically play a game for your club. So, um, it's, it's probably overall good for the MLS that they got that sorted out. So a player like McKinney, if, if one of those comes up in the near future yeah. or in the distant future, they can, uh, make some money out of, out of a deal. So overall, probably a good thing. Making the most of their place in the, in the soccer world. And now I believe we are at that hour mark, just some international things I wanted to go over and, and then I'll let you touch on it before we kind of wrap up. I'll start with the women's national team. Uh, the roster's kind of coming in the shape. Uh, they called up 13 different defenders of Letko and Donovsky. Uh, and then the injury to be aware of, Tobin Heath, unfortunately, is out 10 to 12 weeks with an ankle injury that she picked up, I believe, playing for Manchester United women. So that's a bummer for the U.S. Women's National Team, but it does give Latko an opportunity to see some of his potential players that, that look looking towards the future and, and who can fill that spot for depth reasons. So I'm sure that's something he will be paying attention to as the next big competition is the She Believes Cup, uh, which they are in with Canada, Argentina, and Brazil. So that's a good opportunity for the United States to test themselves in some good competition. And, and I kind of just noted it's it's a good period of um, analyzing what he wants for the next World Cup qualifying cycle, what he wants for the Olympics. Uh, I think there's a lot of talented young players being called in there. As far as the men's national team goes, they demolished Trinidad and Tobago last I talked last Sunday. That was 7 nothing. All, all goalkeeper Matt Turner had to do was save a penalty kick. Uh, other men's national team news, Chris Richards did go on that loan to Hoffenheim, a team that conceded the fourth most goals in the Bundesliga at the time. He'll probably get some minutes there, and that's overall a really good thing to get him some more minutes, but also knowing that Bayern still wants him and that he's just going on loan to get some minutes because at a team like Bayern, he's got to be unbelievable. I don't think it's he's going to fit there long term. I hope he does, but like they're always – when they go buy center backs, they're buying like 70 million Euro center backs. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on the men's national teams or women's national teams, but what do you have there? And did you kind of want to start wrapping this up? Sure. Well, the only thing I, I ever had to say whenever I watched the Trinidad game was if only that could have happened in 20, what, 18. Yes. We don't talk <laughs> uh, about that. We don't talk about that, but it, it is it is good to see, especially when you consider that nearly every player on the field was not a first team player because everyone else was still on international duty. So, or on on uh, club duty. Um, so it's good to see that they're still able to get a very comfortable results, even if it is against a uh, much lower side Trinidad. But uh, yeah, I I think the future of of the men's team. We've talked about this all the time, but it's looking good and. Uh, uh, to see a player like Chris Richards getting time with a Bundesliga side is good um, to, to just for his development and so that he can fit in with the rest of the team who's now, you know, the whole, the whole rest of the team, it seems is playing uh, top flight soccer uh, all yep. over the world. So it's, it's very encouraging. So um, that's pretty much all I've got. I do want to real quick touch on Mizzou soccer because it's not usually yeah. a thing that's happening in the this spring. 
but uh, the spring schedule just recently came out, I think uh, mid last week and Mizzou soccer has a schedule. It's all non-conference to make up for the non-conference schedule that they didn't have in the fall last uh, last fall was just a conference schedule. I think it was only eight games. And this, this schedule, I believe, is also eight games. And uh, the last two games on the schedule, all Mizzou fans should have those highlighted because Tigers are playing uh, the rival sort of Kansas. So that'll be, that'll be an exciting end of the season. And for, uh, for Mizzou soccer, it'll be probably weird to be out on the pitch in the spring. Not a usual scenario, but the NCAA tournament will be happening. Mizzou will look to boost its resume. They had a decent run in the SEC tournament. They defeated Vanderbilt, who ultimately won in the regular season. Um, so there's good signs. And uh, additionally, uh, individual player news, Zoe Cross, who, who graduated from Mizzou in the winter, uh, just signed a deal uh, to play for Lou's FC which is a championship side uh, team in the, I think it's called the, uh, I don't know what it's called, the, the women's uh, leagues in Europe or in, in England. Um, but she just signed a deal and she started and, uh, and played a full game, uh, I think on Sunday and they, uh, they won. So very exciting news to, to, to see her. Uh, she's from England originally. She's played with the Chelsea uh, academy and uh, the English uh, U17 team, I believe. So it's very exciting for her to to have a a, a contract signed and to get her first cap with the team. So it's almost like someone should write a feature about her. Yeah, it's almost like I've been trying all school year, but oh well, we don't talk about that either. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you can follow Michael for all your softball needs because he is just not covering soccer yeah. this spring. He just turned on the team so upset he couldn't get that yeah. story. So he crossed no, but you know, I am still I'm actually I, I made a second attempt to work for it when I saw that she signed. So uh if only she will respond to my uh Instagram DM asking for an interview. So uh anyway, yeah. Zoe Cross, if you're listening to this, please respond. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you're listening to Zoe Cross, <laughs> share it with all your new teammates to yeah. listen to myself and Michael talk soccer. That's pretty much going to do it from us. Uh, this has been another episode of Soccer from the Zoo, finally with us both here and talking and not just me talking to you for 45 minutes to an hour and filling airtime. Uh, but you can find myself on Twitter at Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore. You can find Michael at by Michael Howie. Uh, you find the podcast as always at soccer at the zoo that's you and another busy week of soccer we got some champions league to talk about relatively soon and of course make sure to listen to soccer from the zoo on kcou 88.1 fm every sunday at 7 p.m that's going to be our normal slot in mid-missouri or you can listen to it on kcou.fm so i think that's all the tags and things that um we have to say but For myself and Michael, go watch some soccer. Have a great week. And it's now snowing here, so we know it will be a cold one, at least in the Midwest.